1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: This is a terrible, tragic situation. Where these, This is a tragic situation where there's a call for help. These people are calling out to God for help, and he says, I'm not helping you. They're calling out him, God, God, answer me, and he's not answering because he's chosen to do this. He knows where they are. He knows the need they have, but he has, he has closed the door, and he won't respond. That's a horrible thing. Why? Because when he called, when he stretched out his arms, when he said, ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth, come into the waters, they refused. This is the consequence. Like, just a few months ago, like a two American ladies that were in Loretto, Mexico, and Baja, and they decided that, oh, it would be a good idea to kayak from Loretto over to the island, Carmen Island, the big island. Doesn't look very far away. It looks pretty close, but it's six miles. And in a kayak, that can be a long way. And they left in the afternoon. They didn't tell anybody. They had a cell phone. And they got going oh, and going, and the island just seemed to be moving away from them, you know, until the sun set, it got dark, and, and they got on the cell phone, and they were calling, and just before the cell phone died, the battery died, they said, we are cold. And the next morning, they found them dead in their kayaks from exposure. They were calling for help, and nobody knew where they all were. Nobody knew where they were. They couldn't come and help because they didn't know where they were. Here's people who are calling for help, and God knows where they are, but He's not. He's not responding. Why? Because when He called to them, they did not respond. That's why maybe the one of the most important words in this invitation is this first word: "Ho, quick, quick, respond." Then goes on in the invitation, and He directs it to a certain group of people, not to everyone. But he says, ho, it doesn't say everyone. It says, ho, everyone that thirsteth, that thirsteth. In other words, this is not an invitation to everyone under the sun. This is an invitation for those who feel this deep thirstiness in their soul. And you say, well, a thirstiness for what? And, and really, when you think about this, this is, the, this is the invitation that God is giving. This is really the deciding factor, whether a person responds to the gospel or doesn't respond to the gospel. It doesn't have to do with how well you presented it. It doesn't have to do with how convincing your arguments were. It doesn't have to do with how well you met their counterarguments. It doesn't have to do with how well you destroyed evolution. It doesn't have to do with how well you proved the existence of God. That's not the deciding factor. It's not about you, it's about them. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, you cannot create that thirst in another person. That thirst either exists or it doesn't exist. And you say, A thirst for what? A thirst for cleansing from sin. Like you know, my testimony is in my case, I was thirsty to be clean on the inside because of a defiling life, a thirst for real peace, a thirst for a peace that that you can lay your head on the pillow at night and not be drowning in worry and not have to go to to alcohol and drugs to escape the depression, a thirst for a real feeling of security like it's going to be okay, it's okay, a thirst to know that you have a home in heaven, a thirst for God, to know God, not religion, but to know God, the true God. When a person feels that thirst inside, that deep thirst, they're thirsty. And God is talking to those people. God is saying, ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth, that thirsteth for those things. But if a person feels like, I'm okay, I'm, i lead a pretty good life. I, you know, I give to United Way. I got a receipt to prove it. You know, when when a person just feels as though they're okay, they're self-righteous in themselves, there's no thirst. There's no thirst. That's not who this invitation is directed to. When a person feels that in life, life is good, life is fine. I live in San Diego. Did you see the weather today? Wonderful. What do I need God for? That's not a thirsty person. That's not a thirsty person. Reminds me of a friend of mine, Oscar, he's an electrician down in Mexico, and his wife had become a Christian, and he said, no, I don't want to believe in God. He had trouble in his home because of that, in fact his marriage was on the rocks, and uh, so he had trouble at home, and then he went to work, and it so happened that the people he were working with were really putting him down. You know, they were criticizing his work and criticizing him, and it was just one job after the other where the people were really pounding on him, making him feel so low that he could sit on a dime and swing his legs. That's the way he felt. And it was because of that that Oscar got a thirst in his soul. He got a thirst to have a family that was united. He got a thirst to be accepted by others. And that's what drove him to the Lord Jesus Christ, where he received him. His whole life changed because he was thirsty. He was thirsty inside. So a person doesn't feel thirsty when they're happy in life, when they're happy with the way they've turned out. And, and so that invita- this invitation is not for them. This invitation is, Ho, everyone that thirsteth. And then he says, The, the invitation is, Come to the waters come to the, you're thirsty, come to the waters. He says, come to the waters. And just like the Lord Jesus had said, are you thirsty for real rest in life? Do you feel like you're on a treadmill and you're weary in your soul? You're just tired inside. You're tired of it all. You're tired with making money and paying bills and that life just seems to be just a trap. Are you that way? Then the Lord Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight Matthew eleven twenty eight He addresses those people He says Come to me, come ye unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest, a rest you've never known before. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, and I'll for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. See, for those who feel that that's the way life is, they're thirsty for more thirsty, for different. He says, come to me, come to me, and you'll get rest. You'll get rest. God looks at people, and he says, you know, I wish you were either on the two extremes. I wish you were either hot with your pursuit of me, or I wish you were, you were cold and you hated me, and you were rebelling against me. I wish you were on these two extremes. But when you're right there in the middle, I hate it. And he said this in Revelation 3.16, Revelation 3.16, where he said, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. God says, I'll vomit you out. Because thou sayest, and here's what it means to be lukewarm. Because thou sayest, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing. Because this is, God says, that's the description of lukewarm. He says, I hate that. And then God says, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? How could there be such a disconnect in self-evaluation? How could a person say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, and then God looks at that same person and says, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Apart from that, you look very good. How could that be? Because of the blindness of the human heart, because of the self-deception. The human heart is deceptive, it's wicked above everything else, according to Isaiah. And God warned Israel, God warned Israel, you will pass into the greatest danger in your life when something happens to you. And he was telling them in Deuteronomy, it's it's not the Hebrew title for that book, Hebrew title is Devarim. It means the sayings. They really couldn't figure out what to name these five books, so they just picked one of the words in the beginning of it and said, okay, we'll name it that. But anyways, Devarim is what they call the sayings. But in Deuteronomy, it's kind of interesting, the word Deuteronomy, because it means the law the second time time around. And that's really what it is. It's kind of a review. It's kind of Moses sitting back and, and saying, okay, now, I told you all this before, but sit down and let me tell it to you again because I'm going, and you need to have this. That's what really Deuteronomy is all about. So Deuteronomy is kind of like, let's sort of look back and review what's happened to you in your life. Let's look back and review the history of Israel. Let's see the lessons that we learned so that you can learn from these lessons and you can be the better for it. That's the book of Deuteronomy. reminds me of a EFO that we had here at Gantabodias one time, and he had a daughter that really gave him a lot of heartache. And he told me, he said, one day he sat down with his daughter and he said to his daughter, he says, you know, when you finally, you know, move out of house, you're going to be great. You're going to be absolutely great because you will have made every mistake possible. <laughs> That's kind of what the book of Deuteronomy is. He said, God is saying to, to Israel, you'll be great because you've done it all but this is a review. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, he's warning them about what's going to happen to them. He said, you're heading for a certain state and period in your lives when you get into the land there, and I need to warn you about this. And this this warning comes in Deuteronomy 8.10, Deuteronomy 8.10. And it says, here's the time. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten, and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, all that thy haft is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, that he might do thee good at thy lighter end. And thou say in thy heart, my power, and this might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which thee swear unto thy fathers at this day. God was saying, you're gonna be going into good times. You're gonna be heading into a situation where you're gonna have everything that you need. Your houses are gonna be magnificent maybe adequate more than adequate you're going to have flocks that are going to multiply everything's going to be going your way and he said that's the time of your greatest danger that's the time when you are in the greatest danger to forget god and to say i'm rich i'm increased with goods i have need of nothing then the deception can very easily come to you where you will say i did it i did it all I did such a great job, I'm so able, I'm strong, my hand is strong, look what I did. And God said, that's the point where you're gonna be at the point where I'm gonna be ready to vomit you out of my mouth. That's gonna be the point where I'm going to hate the state that you're in. And so he said, be careful of that. So this invitation, ho everyone that thirsteth, is God saying, never forget the thirst in your soul." And that's true for us here tonight. We, God may bring us into good times. He may bring us into, we don't feel the need that we once did. And God said, never forget. And that's what he was telling Israel. Never forget. Rehearse it again. You know, one of the values of the Passover, we celebrate the Seder, celebrate the Passover, and, you know, with the menorah, and the so, you know, all the, the dreidels, and the thing. But you know what God was really wanting in that yearly celebration that he said was so important, you're gonna reset the calendar that that was gonna be the first month of the year? Remember Egypt. Remember the hard bondage that you were in. Never forget how the Egyptians oppressed you, how the Egyptians systematically killed you, how they worked you to death, how they killed your firstborn, how they hated you and had their thumb on you and would not be happy until they ground you into the death, into death in the dust. Never forget that. And that's the reason for the Seder, for the Passover, I should say. That's the reason for the Passover. It's a remembrance time to remember. And when God told Israel, I, said, I want you to never forget that you were dirty, rotten sinners. Don't just say sinners. Say dirty, rotten type sinners. I want you to never forget that. Don't ever forget that time. Always go back. You know, I have a friend who's a missionary in um, Indonesia, and they adopted Two kids from the street. And the kids, they had what they needed. They had clothes. They had food. They had all the things they didn't have when they were back in Jakarta. And the kids then, the two kids started to rebel and they started to say, it was better for us in Jakarta when we could roam the streets. We knew the streets. We could do what we want. And my friends got tired of hearing this. So they said, okay, we're going to leave the jungle. We're going to go back to Jakarta. We're going to go back to Jakarta, and we're going to go back to the place where you grew up. And they took them back to the place, and they saw the squalor, and they saw all that the life that it was of the petty theft and, and everything, kind of like probably like places in the Bahamas, I would imagine, right, Sam? I'm just, I'm just thinking about that, you know. They, they saw that, and the kids never wanted to go back again. Why? Because the parents wisely brought them back to the place. Like the song says, thanks to Calvary. It says and the song goes on. It says, you know, I went back and I visited the, the visited the places I used to hang out in the bars, the gang, and the refrain goes. Thanks to Calvary, I don't go there anymore. And then his little boy, he he brings him back to the the house where he grew up, and his little boy, you know, got afraid and hid behind him in the song. And he said, son, don't be afraid. Thanks to Calvary, I don't live here anymore. So God wants us to always remember, don't forget where you came from. Always remember so that you always keep that thirst in your soul. No thirst in the soul, no running to Jesus. No thirst in the soul, no response to the gospel. No thirst in the soul, no be thou my vision, my Savior divine. Nothing like that. Then he goes on. And he says, come ye and buy wine and milk without money and without price. He says, Come and buy without money. It's almost comical. Buy without money. (laughs) How do you buy without money? No, because that God says, I don't want you to come with your money. I don't want because your money is no money. What does that mean? No, your money. What does a person come and try to bargain with God? Matthew 7, you see people who come with their money. Not not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father shall many will come on that day and say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them: Depart from me, I never knew you. The whole mistake there was that they thought God is more concerned with what I do for him than, and God was saying, no, you got it wrong. I'm more concerned with who you know rather than what you do. And because they had that wrong, it was a tragedy where they were cast into hell. And this is where God says, don't come to me with, a, hey, Lord, haven't we done this and haven't we done that? I've got this money, i got that money. I, you know, we cast out devils and we preach in your name and we've done many wonderful works and that's gonna buy me into heaven, isn't it? And God says, don't come with that. Come with no money. Come with, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come that way. Come the way of nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Come that way. And when you come that way, I'll give you great buying power. Buy. Don't just, because I'm not going to say to you, God's going to say, I'm not going to say to you, well, you know, another dirty, rotten sinner. Okay, go in the corner. I don't even want to Very end, but that's okay. No, God's going to say, bring out the best robe, kill the fatted calf, promote, exalt, and let him buy, buy corn and wine and milk without money and without price. And then he turns to them in verse 2, and he says, I've got a question that's really troubling me. God is sort of saying, look at this. Is something that's very troublesome to me? And the question is, Why, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? He's looking at people who are just exhausting themselves in a mad pursuit in life. And they're working, they're working, they're working. And God is saying, for what, for what, for what? When God looked at his people, it broke his heart when he looked at Israel. It broke his heart because he said, my people have committed two evils. Not just one, but two. First, the foremost, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They turned their back on me. It would have been bad enough if they just turned their back enough and said, no, I don't want God. But instead... They plunged themselves, and this is the second evil, they hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. They were digging and digging the cisterns, and they were hoping and hoping and hoping that when the time came and they opened up the lid that there would be water there when they were thirsty and they were broken cisterns, and what a disappointment to open up, take a a lid off of a well when you're thirsty and you need the water. And he said, there's no water because it was broken. And he said, that's what my people do. They forsake me, the fountain, not the well, the fountain that's coming out, the water is springing out, the fountain of living waters. And instead they dug these wells, broken wells, they can't even hold water. And he says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not? And so now the question is, what should they do? And God says, I'll tell you what you should do in verse 2. Hearken diligently unto me hearken diligently unto me. This is all about, in verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul will live. Come unto me and your soul will live. And this is what the Lord Jesus told his opponents. He said, you will not come unto me that you might have eternal life. Eternal life is all about coming to the Lord Jesus to the person of the Lord Jesus. He says, it's all personal. It's real personal. It's about Jehovah Jesus. It's about the Lord Jesus. And he says, you've got to listen to me, and you've got to come to me, and your soul shall live. And he says, and then I'm going to make you an, an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. And you think about David, what sure mercies David got if it was in the New York Times about what David did, it would read like this. Man rapes a wife and murders her husband. That's David. Man rapes a wife and murders her husband. And the jury would say, guilty, death penalty. That's what the jury would say. And especially the judgment bar of God. And that was King David. And he did it and it was a terrible thing. And can't you imagine David in heaven now saying, did it have to be in the Bible? Couldn't it have been expunged? Did you have to have that chapter in there? And God said, oh, yes, it does have to be in the Bible. And David would say, why? Because what I did after that, when I took a son from from that woman, Bathsheba, and made him to be your heir and the one to build the temple, When I did that, that was the sure mercies of David. That was the sure mercies that God had given on on King David. That's the mercies. The mercies on the man who raped the wife and murdered her husband and exalted him to be the David, David, Melach, Israel, Kai, Kai, Vikayom, David, David, King of Israel, live, live forever. That's the mercies of God.